This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. And turn with me to Philemon. Here's a quote for you from a scholar and commentator. Most Christians have never studied Philemon. Do we have this quote? We're working on it. Hey, we're not close. There we go. Most Christians have never studied Philemon. Many have never heard it taught or preached. It suffers from neglect. Yet God has providentially seen to it that this short, private, and obscure letter is included in the canon of authoritative Christian scripture. Why? What is its purpose? What is the significance of the letter for Christian belief and practice? That's what we're going to try to get at today. At the end of Acts, we're studying Acts. When we get to the end, we'll see Paul's arrested for his gospel ministry. He's in Rome. He's allowed to stay in rented quarters. But he's in change. Onesimus, we're about to read about, is a runaway slave who came to Christ at some point. He ran away from Philemon, who's in Colossae, over a thousand miles away from Rome. And he bumped into the Apostle Paul. Let's read this short letter. This, this is authoritative Christian scripture. This is God's word. Paul, verse 1, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you, And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 8, accordingly... Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, 
and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. but Now he's indeed useful to you and to me. And I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I, want, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers... I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Here's the main point today. It's what I think the purpose, the significance of this letter is for our practice. I think the Lord wants us to apply this by loving others and giving our lives away for them. We'd say to you, love others, give your life away for them. In Colossians chapter 4, Philemon is in Colossae. Both letters were written, both letters are going to be read to the church publicly. Paul says in Colossians 4, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. In other words, he's there with Onesimus. He, he is a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful 
and beloved brother who's one of you. He's come from Colossae. They will tell you of everything that's taken place here. So Philemon's and Colossae, Onesimus brought both letters to be read to the church. You can just see him saying, hey dude, here's a letter from Paul. Imagine. I think as it was read publicly to the church, I think Philemon wept. I think he hugged Onesimus in tears. I think he forgave him for any wrongs. And I think he freed him. 1 Timothy 1 says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Enslaving is contrary to sound doctrine. It's the clear teaching of Scripture. Obviously, none of you own slaves because in 1866, Congress passed the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution, and it was ratified by the states two years later, and it means that slavery is now illegal in our country. Human trafficking is certainly going on because of ungodliness, but it is illegal, thankfully. Today's Memorial Day, and it's an American holiday that honors men and women that have died serving in the United States military. Right now, it doesn't seem that patriotism is popular with all the citizens. I don't want to be misunderstood, but I do want to say that hopefully as a discerning Christian and a discerning pastor, I am thankful to be a citizen of this country. If you're a guest, I don't say that every Sunday. But I am thankful. I think we can and should remember men and women who have given their lives to serve this country when we are at war. One example is the many men who died in the Civil War who were Christians fighting to end slavery. There were many reasons people fought in the Civil War, but one reason they fought and died was because they wanted to see slavery come to an end. Our nation began with a compromise on the issue of slavery, but the fact is that within 100 years, that was corrected, and I think that should be acknowledged. What's most important for our purposes is to understand that Philemon, this letter was in the Bible in the 19th century, and Christians read this letter. And it helped lay the foundation for the abolition of slavery. My point is that God, Christians, and the Bible were on the right side of history in the 19th century. It's why there were abolitionists. And many Christians fought for that reason. Charles Spurgeon who was in Britain, a pastor, a famous pastor there. He spoke out against slavery. He could read the Bible very, very well. And he spoke out against it. It cost him book sales. 
You might think that's not a big deal, but I think there are many Christian leaders today who are cowards because they don't want to lose book sales. This letter understands that the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms people. This slave becomes the Apostle Paul's very heart. Whoa. It's testimony to the power of of the gospel. Philemon isn't about slavery, but clearly slavery couldn't survive the Apostle Paul's worldview. All right, so there are three broad principles taught in the New Testament that are the background for this letter, in my view. They are important to what God wants to accomplish in our lives. Three broad principles. First of all, the preeminence of Christ our relationships, number two, in Christ, and our fellowship with Christ. Number one, the preeminence of Christ. We can learn a lot about the letter to Philemon by, by reading the letter to the Colossians. Colossians 2 talks about how there are false teachers in Colossae, in the church, within the church, who are trying to delude people with arguments that are plausible. They're trying to deceive them. Paul says they, they want to take you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. So they're dangerous, and he's warning them. These false teachers, what they're teaching sounds reasonable, we should take note. It's, it's persuasive, but it's empty. It's, it's the philosophy of pagan religions, human tradition. It's demonic. And Paul is after it. So what is being taught is not in agreement with what Jesus taught about who he is and what he has done. It's not in agreement with the Apostle Paul's teaching. And so this, the letter to Colossians is focused on Christ. It's some of the most exalted language in all the Bible about Jesus Christ. I commend it to you. Be a great day to read this letter. But I just want to highlight a few verses. Colossians 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, God the Son incarnate, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This was, would not have jived with the teachings of the false teachers. And he is before all things, and in him... All things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the letter to Colossians is all about. 
That's the background. That's this church. That's what Paul is teaching. It's a principle laid out in, in Scripture. It's a, tr- it's a statement of truth about God the Son incarnate that really explains what is going on in this letter to Philemon. At one point in Colossians, Paul says, there is not slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Philemon was a wealthy Christian. He lived in the city of Colossae. It was about 100 miles from Ephesus. Scholars think that while Paul was there for three years, as we learn in Acts, that he came to Christ most likely directly by Paul. Paul evangelized him and he came to Christ. And Onesimus was one of Philemon's bondservants. He was a slave. At some point, he ran away, which wasn't uncommon in that time and place. And he fled to Rome. Thousand miles away, he may have robbed Philemon on the way out the door. That wasn't uncommon either. At one point, then Onesimus is in Rome, largest city in the empire. He's a fugitive. And he runs into the Apostle Paul. And clearly in Paul's view, it was providential. God's in control of everything. All this is happening so that you and I can read this letter this morning and hear God's word. God is at work. Paul's severely constrained by his imprisonment, even though he's in his own rental quarters. And as Onesimus grew in Christ, he served Paul. Paul needed help. And Onesimus came to Christ, this runaway slave who may have wronged Philemon, is spending much time investing his efforts in serving the Apostle Paul. The theme of this letter is the power of the gospel to transform a life and to transform a relationship. The the central request that Paul is making is that the church there in Colossae, and especially Philemon, that they would receive this runaway slave that maybe robbed his master on the way out the door as a beloved brother in Christ. Verse 16, Philemon, I'm sending him back to you that you may have him back no longer as a slave, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you both in the flesh, in other words, practical implications of what coming to the Lord means, both in the flesh and in the Lord. It, it changes our relationships when we come to Christ because he's preeminent. Number two, second broad principle, background for this letter, is our relationships in Christ. They're transformed by the gospel. This is a story from the South in the 19th century prior to the Civil War. After an Independence Day picnic, Charles, John, and William, the Pelham 
teenage brothers, okay? John Pelham would become a, a well-known and a successful uh, officer in the Confederate Army. He was a West Point cadet prior to the war, grew up on a southern plantation, and became famous for artillery. He was killed in the war, but this is a story of him on his plantation in Alabama prior to the war. After an Independence Day picnic, Charles, John, and William played a trick on their father. They were ornery teenagers. By concocting a fake medical emergency, they accosted a young black boy, most likely a family slave, drenched him in the blood of a slaughtered hog. Then they dragged the boy to Atkinson's, that's their dad's medical office, claiming that he had suffered some horrible accident. A child was, of course, powerless to resist. As the Pelham boys pulled him along, he could do nothing but shriek and cry. Undeceived, Atkinson punished his sons, though whether more for trying to lie to him than for the fear and humiliation it caused the boy, the records do not show. Probably very few boys perfectly respect the feelings and dignity of others. Yet John Pelham's circumstances were especially unsuited to teaching him this lesson. In his notes on the state of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson railed against the slow, sure poison with which slave ownership destroyed the moral sensitivity of the class that called itself master. The corruption, he said, was invariably passed from father to son. The author says the the callous mistreatment of the blood-soaked slave boy shows the outlines of this hereditary defect. The Pelham boys surely didn't consider themselves cruel or cowardly. However, where a black slave was concerned, it seemingly did not occur to them that such values were at issue. Decency was rigorously observed only within one's caste and, and color. If in the letter to Philemon, Paul had been addressing that kind of slavery, it would have been a very different letter. Paul wanted Onesimus to be freed from slavery because he had become a brother in Christ. What we just read was worse than cruel, cowardly, and indecent. It was evil, and Paul would have condemned it with strong language far beyond Thomas Jefferson. The point is, this isn't the slavery being addressed in in Philemon. Some people did become slaves by force, but many others voluntarily sold themselves into slavery, and slaves came from all races and ethnic groups. We think of slavery like the institution that existed in the United States in the 19th century, the forced enslavement of one race of people. Paul would have condemned this institution. The letter to Philemon would have read much differently if Onesimus' slavery was like John Pelham's slavery. Slavery in the first century was an accepted and important part of the first century world that Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus were a part of. It's estimated that about a third of the people in Colossae were slaves, it was so much a part of the world that they, they lived in that early Christians wouldn't have even thought much about the institution. And, and freedom from slavery would not have been the clear blessing that we see it 
to be today. Legal freedom was by, by no means always a positive. The treatment of slaves sometimes by masters was very good. Their life was better, and once they were set free, they often had trouble surviving. Here's what, again, Doug Moo, commentator and the scholar, Pauline Scholar, the realities of one's social or cultural identity could not usually be changed. What mattered, this is what mattered to the church, was that these earthly realities were seen to be trivial in comparison with eternal spiritual realities. The letter to Philemon certainly shares this overall perspective. Paul seeks to reconfigure the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus in terms of their shared faith and the fellowship that that faith creates. Whether this new relationship would transform Onesimus' existing worldly relationship to Philemon was not the most important thing. The letter to Philemon focuses on three relationships. Paul's famous for relationships. And this, this letter focuses on three. First, Paul's relationship to Onesimus. His relationship to the slave. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. When, when we read the last chapter in Acts, we'll, we'll see that Paul was in this rental, uh, rental quarter for two years. And people were just coming to him. And he welcomed everyone. He started with the Jews and then everyone was welcome. And Onesimus was clearly one of these visitors. And he came to Christ through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now he considers him his spiritual son. And then verse 15 is a very important part of this letter because Paul is, he's being very diplomatic He's hinting at that this is all the providence of God. This is all God's work. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. In other words, he ran away, escaped slavery. Maybe this is why. That you might have him back forever so that he could go a thousand miles to Rome And it just so happens, he runs into Paul, comes to Christ. Perhaps this is why. What Paul is saying is, this is why. <laughs> he is saying, this is why he ran away. This is why you were separated from him for a while, so that now you can have him back for eternity. Because he's a Christian. Note in this letter the emphasis on prayer it's a side note for our purposes, but notice verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Verse 6, I pray that the sharing of your faith, he's, he's praying for Philemon, I pray that the sharing of your faith, Philemon's a co-worker, he's preaching the gospel, I pray for that, success. And then verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me because even though I'm in chains, I'm a thousand miles away, there's no guarantee I'm going to get out 
through your prayers, get a guest room ready. There's lots about prayer. Prayer causes things to happen that won't happen if the prayers don't happen. Prayer is an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty and of our dependence on Him, says Jerry Bridges, to act on our behalf. God is sovereign. He's active in history. These Christians knew it, and they're praying. God is providentially acting. Paul says, maybe this is uh, why he was parted from you. Each year, I take a fishing trip with my sons. Same place every year. Iowa. I'm lying because I'm not going to tell you where we go. And lest, lest you think this is trivial, it's much more than a fishing trip. For some reason, I loved to fish from the day I was born. And my, my dad was a horrible fisherman, but he loved his son, and he used to take me fishing, and we ended up fishing in Iowa for trout. So the trip began about 1975. We, we don't have any pictures. Didn't have cameras back then. <laughs> but the memories are priceless. And so when I had my sons, I began to go same area in Iowa and take them each and every year. It was an important part. It is an important part of our annual calendar. In fact, when they were pursuing their wives, they made it clear, we have a trout fishing trip every year, by the way, and before we get too far down the road, uh, you need to know it's a deal breaker if that's not going to work. <laughs> totally kidding, but... Yeah. Fast forward to last weekend, okay? Close to 30 trips now. It wasn't going great, except for one son who will remain unnamed because none of us like him. <laughs> will, my oldest son, hadn't caught any fish. He famously didn't catch any fish last year. I oh, caught a bass, but that doesn't count. His excuse was that he was helping his son wasn't working, but the last day was last Sunday, he caught his first biggest trout he ever caught, 20 inches. He's been noticeably absent from what I call the 20-inch wall in my office. Every other son's on there, I'm on there a lot. <laughs> and I love to bring guests in, especially his friends, and say, who's missing on the 20-inch wall? Many jokes. Last Sunday, last day of the trip, last minute, catches his biggest fish, 20-incher, just so happened to be his birthday. You, you would understand. If, you could, if I had recorded the radio, we carry radios, and you could have heard his 12-year-old son's report. You would understand. This is not a trivial matter. It's about God's sovereignty. It's about God's providence. It's about answered prayer. When I, you can laugh, but I was praying. I did not want him to go home again disappointed. If you could have heard that 12-year-old, I was praying. 
When I got the report, I didn't go, boy, I wish I'd catch a big fish. He caught a bigger fish than me. No, I smiled from ear to ear and began to praise the Lord. I like to think his brothers did that, but eh, not so sure. <laughs> but his son certainly did. It was all in God's providence. Prayer is an important part of that. That made a memory we will never forget. It's a gift from God. This is perhaps why, verse 15, he was parted from you. This is the way God works. They're praying. And Paul is saying, this is why it's answered prayer. Verses 8 and 9, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. See how he's appealing. Maybe this is why. What he really means is this is why. He could have commanded Philemon, but he wanted him to do it for the joy. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. The name Onesimus means useful or beneficial. Paul says he wants to derive some benefit. From Philemon. It's a play on words. Slaves were often called useful. So that they would maybe be useful. But Paul's relationship with Onesimus goes far beyond usefulness. Remember, Onesimus is there. He's among them as the letter is being read. He may have read it himself. And Paul says that in this letter, as Onesimus and Philemon are listening, he says, verse 16, he's a beloved brother now. He was a runaway, fugitive slave and thief, but now he's a brother. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child. That's, that's a term, that's a word that Paul used for his closest co-workers. I, I, he's whose father I became in my imprisonment. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very heart. If this doesn't affect you, you're not getting deep enough into the letter. I've spent the last six weeks doing a deep dive into this little short letter. If this doesn't get you, go, go deeper. Verse 16, in order that he might serve me on your behalf. Paul needs help. He served both men. Onesimus is his very heart. He wants Philemon to, to hear that. So his second relationship is Paul's relationship to Philemon. So we talk about Paul's relationship to Onesimus. But, but what about his relationship to Philemon? If he owes you anything, verse 19, Paul, Paul says... I write this with my own hand. I'll repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. He led him to Christ. He's been redeemed. He's been rescued. He's been reconciled to God. You owe me your life. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he doesn't, doesn't want to say that. He wants to appeal to him. 
He, he can appeal to Philemon. He knows Philemon is weeping as this letter is being read. He doesn't have to command him. He loves Paul. Philemon owes Paul's very self. He's been converted through his ministry. He's received spiritually. He's happy. Happy to give something like the freedom of Onesimus. A material gift to this man that's meant so much. And finally, this letter references Philemon's relationships to Onesimus. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. For some reason he was useless to Philemon, apparently because he had run away. He was no longer useful. He has, if he's wronged you, he may have defrauded him, verse 18, on the way out the door. But, but now, by God's grace, through the power of the gospel, he's useful to both. Verse 16, receive him, receive him. No longer as a bondservant, no longer as a slave, okay? This is a slave that has been transformed. No longer as a bondservant, more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you? In the flesh, in the Lord has practical implications. Verse 21, Paul says, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I say. He doesn't come out and say, free the slave. Clearly. Philemon's going to free this man. And there is some historical evidence that Onesimus became the bishop of Ephesus. Can't be sure about it. But the the survival of this letter says he was freed. Finally, final broad principle is our fellowship with Christ. 1 John 1 verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. God the Son incarnate, Jesus. We saw him, we heard him, we proclaim it to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The the gospel of Christ transforms life in the church. It transforms our relationships. The great treasure of the kingdom is fellowship with God in Christ in the church. That's what we share with one another. The central theme of this little letter is fellowship. Fellowship is the main point of the letter. It's a fellowship that's built on faith in God the Son incarnate, Jesus Christ. That's the theological grounding of this letter. It's featured throughout the letter. Verse 1. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Verse 2. Archippus, our fellow soldier. Verse 6. And I pray that the sharing, the koinonia is the Greek behind this. 
the, the, the fellowship of your faith may become effective. Verse 17, if you consider me a partner, koinonia, fellowship, a partner in the gospel. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Then he lists four guys that are his fellow workers in verse 24. The, this is all the language of fellowship. The idea is that fellowship is the product of faith in Christ. Believing in Christ transforms our relationship. This is a core value in our local church. It profoundly affects our, our church. We're not just hanging out. We're not just having lemonade on the lawn today. We're going to have fellowship. With God in Christ and with one another. It brings great blessings, doesn't it? We need fellowship. That's why Paul says, I've derived, verse 7, much joy and comfort from you. That's what we get in these relationships. Why do they mean so much to us? In our walk with the Lord, we, we get this joy. We, we get this comfort because of the hearts of the saints that have been refreshed by you. Our hearts are refreshed by one another. Verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. It's deep. It's emotional. Verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, in Jesus. You can just see Philemon weeping. He's yours, Paul. Fellowship imposes obligations. It's a, such a blessing, but it's, there's obligations. The New Testament sees us entering into this new family, and it's preeminent. It's a preeminent family. It's a preeminent relationship because Christ is preeminent. It's His family. Slavery's not what Philemon's all about. The, the key teaching of the letter is in the one clear request that, that Paul makes in verse 17. Accept Onesimus as a Christian brother. With all the, this acceptance, I appeal to you for Onesimus. He's my child. He's my son. I appeal to you. I'm sending him back to you. Verse 12. I'm sending my very heart. All three of these men have to do something they would not want to do. Welcome to Christianity. I'm, Paul says, verse 12. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I would have rather kept him with me. But I don't want to do that. I don't want you to, I don't want to command this. I want you to do it because of love. I want you to do it because of joy. Onesimus, he's free. Now he has to go back to his master. And Philemon, he has to welcome this runaway slave who may have defrauded him and stolen from him like he would welcome the apostle Paul says, verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me. 
That's what I desired to do. What I wanted was to keep Onesimus with me. I wanted this very badly. But what I desire isn't what I do because my master is Jesus. I am a prisoner for Christ. I am the slave of Christ. I do what my master wants me to do. Not what I want to do. So I'm sending him back to you. And I'm encouraging you now. You be a slave. Christ. Everybody has an obligation. The central thrust of this letter is Philemon, you have a responsibility and an obligation. Because of these principles, they lead to one thing. Love others and give your life away for them. That's the call of the letter to Philemon. Father, Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you saved us in your sovereignty, Lord, and in your providence. We weren't lucky. It wasn't luck that led Onesimus to the Apostle Paul in a massive city. It was providential. It was answered prayer. It was you at work. And Lord, each and every one of us has the same testimony. Lord, we, we came to you. We didn't first love you. Lord, you loved us. And you have brought us to yourself. And the greatest treasure we have, the thing that we love the most, Lord, is fellowship with you in Christ. That's the treasure of the kingdom. And because of that treasure, we've gone and we've sold everything we have and we bought the field where that treasure is. And that's for your glory. And we give you thanks this morning that our eyes have been opened to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in his name, Lord, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.